Okay, good morning. It's been a little different week, hasn't it? Well, let's pray. Father, we come before you and we ask for your guidance, your wisdom, your direction. We thank you that you're a God who is Lord over all, and we thank you that you're above all and in all. And you're above and you're in and you're working, even in this time and this situation, which is so different for us as a church, a community, and a nation. And so we come before you, Father, asking you to lead us, to guide us, and to give us wisdom. In the name of Jesus, we ask this. Amen. Amen. By the way, kids can be dismissed for Children's Church at this time, so sorry, forgot that. Well, it's been a pretty unusual week, hasn't it? The unthinkables have happened. March Madness has been canceled. And so we wonder how in the world are we going to live uh, in the spring, in the winter, spring, without our March Madness and the college hoops. I know that's a huge disappointment. The NBA season, the NHL season is postponed or is suspended. That's less of a concern for me. Markets have plunged in such dramatic ways. And then, of course, Costco is out of toilet paper for the next 23 years. So, and if you've got a cough and you cough in public, people look at you like you're possessed. And so there's a lot of panic. There's a lot of uncertainty going on right now. In fact, I would dare to say that the panic and the response that people are having to the actual crisis and to the actual disease could be as much of a problem as the the illness or the virus itself. One person wrote this and said, I'm not panicked about the virus itself. I'm panicked about the mass panic. I'm panicked about not having paper or bleach or water or dog food. I'm most panicked that it could get to the place where there's a shortage of food because I have a child to feed. And that scares me the most of all. And so people are panicked about the panic. Talking to my dad yesterday is a fireman, or he's in the fire department for 21 years in Louisville. You've been in the midst of, of burning buildings and high rises and all kinds of dangers where people's lives were seriously at jeopardy. And dad said, when you had a burning building, the worst thing that you could see, the worst response that could have was a stampede where people were just acting out of fear and impulse and they were just running in one direction towards the door. And he says, in times of crisis, in times of danger, He says it's going to be the calm and the rational heads that will prevail. And I think as we as people of faith who trust, who look to Jesus, who is Savior and Lord of all, who is ultimately governing all, we've got to be people right now of faith and not fear. And we as a church need to have all wisdom and discernment and exercise all precautions. And I'm going to tell you about what we are doing as a church to exercise wise precautions. But it is a time not to withdraw, but it is a time to witness. It is not a time to draw back from our ministry, but rather to step up our ministry and to see this is an awesome, incredible opportunity to shed and to share the light of Jesus Christ. And as the motto of our church says to pass on, an obedient relationship with Jesus to our community. Amen? 
Amen. Amen. That's a little better. A little better. I don't feel like I'm alone this morning. There's a, there's a little more, a little fewer of us. But I want to look at the words of Jesus in Matthew chapter 6, verses 25 to 34. So if you have your Bibles, turn there. We'll have it by way of the screen or use your Bible app. And I'm going to read verses 25 to 32. And then together we're going to read verses 33 to 34 as we look at the words of Jesus who calls us to step forward in faith and not fear in witness rather than withdrawal. So Matthew chapter 6, verse 25, Jesus says this, Therefore I tell you, do not worry. That's his command. Do not worry about your life, about what you'll eat or drink, or about your body or what you'll wear. Is not life more than food and the body more than clothes? Look at the birds of the air. They do not reap or store away in barns. And yet your heavenly Father feeds them. Are you not much more valuable than they? Can any one of you by worrying add a single hour to your life? And why do you worry about clothes? See how the flowers of the field grow? They do not labor or spend, yet I tell you that not even Solomon in all of his splendor was dressed like one of these. That is how God clothes the grass of the field, which is here today and tomorrow is thrown into the fire. Will he not much more clothe you, you of little faith? Again, the command, verse 31. So Jesus says, so do not worry. Don't do it saying, what shall we eat or what shall we drink or what shall we wear? Verse 32, for the pagans run after these things. Those who don't have faith, they run like crazy. They go ballistic. They lose their sanity when things aren't going well, but your heavenly Father knows that you need them. So together, let's read verses 33 and 34. Starting together, please. But seek first the kingdom and his righteousness, and all these things will be given to you as well. Therefore, do not worry about tomorrow, for tomorrow will worry about itself. Each day has enough trouble of its own. Three times in this section, Jesus commands, verse 25, 31, and 34, do not worry. Do not worry. And in the Hebrew mentality, when something is said or emphasized three different times, it's like putting it in the boldest face possible. It's like putting a red siren on, a, on alert and saying, do not go here, do not enter. This is dangerous. This is territory you do not want to go. And Jesus is putting this in the strongest terms that in this time of problems, in this times of challenge, that one of our responses is to be is not to worry, but rather to walk in faith rather than fear and to walk in witness rather than withdraw. So I want to give you three problems about worry and related to the time, the age, or the situation we're in. And then I want to give us a couple of ways to put some shoe leather on this, okay? So if you're in a note-writing mood, the first problem with worry, problem number one is, is worry is faithlessness. Worry is faithlessness. 
The problem with worry that we have is it's one of those more respectable and tolerable sins. Especially at a time like we're living in right now, people are going to say, wait a minute, I am worried, but it's understandable. I'm worried, but it's justifiable. It's okay for me to go against what Jesus is saying in these verses because of the pressures and the stress are so great. Some people are saying, and it's legitimate, I've got to work more hours. It's mandatory. I'm being required to. But my kids are going to be out of school for the next several weeks. And so I'm worried because I'm going to be gone more. They're going to be home more. And what do I do in the midst of this? Where do I get child care? Some people look at their financial portfolios, and they have just seen them drop dramatically. In fact, one day this week, the stock market plunged just 10%. And in one day, and they look at that, I'm worried. And all the predictions that are going on about the coronavirus and the pandemic. And folks, if you've been worrying and trying to, 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 to manage your panic levels, this week has presented for you a significant challenge, hasn't it? If you're trying to manage your panic attacks, this has probably thrown your panic through the roof. But worry is spiritual unfaithfulness. Maybe you've never thought of it that way. Maybe you've never looked at it that way. But when we worry, we look at God and we say, God, I I just don't believe your promises. I don't believe you're going to be faithful to them. I don't believe in these situations you're going to be as good and claim to be who you are. I know your word says that I'll never leave you nor forsake you, that that you're supposed to walk with us through every situation and even a time like this. But God, I'm not for sure about this one. This is really heavy. This is really dark. Lord, I know your word says, 2 Corinthians 8 and Philippians 4, that you'll provide for all of my needs. But but in this time, I'm having my doubts. This is really scary. Lord, I know your word says that you'll work all things out for the good of those who love you and are called according to your purposes. But this situation is different. I've never been here before. Colossians 1.17 says that he, being Jesus Christ, is before all things, and in him all things hold together, but and that God ultimately is over the microbes and the atoms and the molecules that he has created. He's over it all, but, but oh God, this coronavirus, boy, this is a different deal. I've never seen anything like this. And, and when you and I worry, and we say we're worried, we're stressed, we're basically looking at ourselves in the mirror and saying, I can't handle this. This issue's too big for me. And that's okay because I'm often looking in the mirror and saying, with the stress, the challenge, the issue I'm facing, I can't handle it. And I'm often at that place in life and I'm ready to admit it. But it's a whole other thing when our eyes look up to heaven and say, God, this is too big. This is too tremendous for you to handle. And when we worry, that's kind of what we're saying. So that's the problem number one with worry. Problem number two is worry is futile. Worry is futile. Verse 27, Jesus says, Can any one of you by worrying add a single hour to your life? 
And the answer is no. In fact, I'm going to make the case and worry doesn't add any time to our life. It takes time away. It reduces our life and certainly the quality of our lives. Now, I want to make a very, very important distinction here, and that is the difference between worry and concern. We can be concerned about a lot of things, and concern is legitimate. <clears throat> concern looks at problems and says, here's what I need to do. Here's where I can be responsible. Here's where I can be proactive. Here's where I can take action. But worry looks at that which we can't control and we can't do anything about, and we obsess over it. And because we focus more on worry than concern, we're less effective in being responsible in the areas we can control and be responsible for. And worry will take a bad problem and make it worse because it focuses our energies on that which we cannot control. I have a concern about fire. And so because of that, I put up smoke detectors in my house. I can control that. I have a concern. I have a concern about financial emergencies. I know they occur. I know the economy can be uncertain. So therefore, I put money aside for a rainy day. That's what I can do. I have concerns about illnesses, and so therefore I take precautions. If somebody is sick, I wash my hands or I have social distancing. That's okay. That's what we can do. God says he feeds the birds, doesn't he? But he doesn't put the worm in their mouth. They've got to do something. And it's the same with us. We have concerns. We have responsibilities. And so there's a place for legitimate actions. And as the news has developed regarding this virus, regarding what's going on within our nation, we have wanted to have concerns and take appropriate responsibilities. And so because of this, we as a church, we've uh, purchased and have applied the, the best disinfectant that we, can, that we can find that takes care of the coronavirus as well as many others. And so before service or on Friday, we were disinfecting all of the key areas of our facility. After first service, there were people out who were applying that disinfectant to the public areas just as well. And we'll do that after this service because we're concerned. I talked to Carrie this week, called her in the morning, and she was on a mad rush to try to find extra hand sanitation, hand sanitizers, and we've put those at appropriate places for precautions and protections. We're not passing the offering through the aisles, and so we don't want that to be an issue, so therefore you can give your offering at either side of the door or give online. Uh, We're not shaking hands or having the greeter shake hands, but many people have been learning to do elbow bumps, and so we're doing that instead. We are serving the coffee, doing it with gloves, and foregoing the snacks. We're leaving the sanctuary doors open so that there's more ventilation and less touching of the doors. And for those who are concerned, for those who are sick, or those who feel like they're going to be vulnerable, we've put the service online. And right now it's being viewed from Facebook Live. And we're concerned, and we can do things about that, and we think that's a way that we can show love, and that's a way that we can protect. But worry is different. Worry is looking at the unknown and the things that we can't control and having a fixation upon those on issues we can take no action. 
And study after study after study has shown that 90% of the things that we worry about, they never happen, do they? And the other 10% of the things we worry about are beyond our control. And we have to leave into the hands of God. Mark Twain said this, I am old and have experienced many troubles, and most of them have never happened. How many of you could say that about your worries? The things you've looked back, the things that you stressed over. And when you worry in your mind and your emotions, it's like you're getting into a racing car. You're revving and revving and revving and revving the engine while it's in neutral. And you're burning gas and you're burning energy and you're using the mechanics, but you're going nowhere. And when we worry, that's what we do. We rev and rev and rev and rev our emotions and it takes our energy and it takes our focus, but it takes us nowhere except depleting our energies on what we could really handle. You look at a little mouse in a cage And it gets in that wheel, that little wheel, and it gets in there and it runs and it runs and it runs. And it's estimated that one mouse can run about 9,000 miles in its lifetime. And there's something within that mouse that just says, I need to get in that wheel and I just need to keep running. The mouse is in good shape, I'll admit that, but it goes nowhere. Okay? And I don't know why it does that, but we do the same thing. We get in that spinning wheel and we turn and we turn and we turn and we turn and it gets us nowhere. I put on Facebook this week on our social media, Corey Tim Boom, I said, worry doesn't empty tomorrow of its problems, but today of its strength. That's what it does. Problem number three with worry is worry can be fatal. Worry can be fatal. Christian psychiatrists Minrith and Meyer have called worry the number one mental disorder in America. And folks, when we look at the response that's going on around us, the stress, the fear, the worry, it would seem to have evidence to what Minrith and Meyer are saying, that it's just gone crazy, the level of panic. And when you worry, it causes chest pains and nausea and dizzy spells. Dr. W.C. Alvarez, who's a stomach specialist at the Mayo Clinic, said this, 80% of stomach disorders that come to us are not organic but functional. Wrong mental and spiritual attitudes throw functional disturbances into our digestion. Most of the problems are caused, he says, by fear and by worry. And here's the deal, folks. When you and I worry and we stress and we panic, it wears down our immune system, doesn't it? It weakens us. And when our immune system is weakened, guess what? We become vulnerable to other illnesses, other problems, other issues that affect us physically, that affect us emotionally, that have nothing to do with the problem or the virus itself. And I think that's what Jesus would say to us, that at a time like this, let's not have the herd mentality. Let's not be the stampede running out of a burning building, but rather let's have our faith and our rationality. Let's walk forward in faith, not fear. Let's, as a church, walk forward in witness and not withdraw. 
Worry instead of adding days to our lives rather divides our mind and multiplies our problems. Somebody said this, worry is an old man with a bended head carrying a load of feathers he thinks are lead. Interestingly, the Washington Bureau of Standards says that if you're in a city, seven city blocks, and there's a dense fog which is there, If you take that fog and it's hard to see and it blinds you and you're having trouble seeing or navigating because of that fog, it says that if you take all of that fog on seven city blocks and condense it into a into to water or condense it more so more together, it simply adds up to about a glass of water. The point is is that when you see that fog, there's just not a lot of substance to it. And so it is with our worries, so it is with our fears. It's a fog that blinds our vision and our trust and our faith in Jesus Christ. And when it comes right down to it, that fog just doesn't have a lot of substance. And that's why the Savior is saying to us three times, do not worry, do not worry, do not worry that God has got this. He's got your back and he's looking out for you and he knows every single thing you need and he will be faithful. So having said that, how do we put some shoe leather on this? How do we bring this into a place where we can apply what God is saying to us from his word and take it out from crossroads or homes or wherever we're at into practical life? And let me give you the first encouragement And that is, we need to step into our responsibility. Step into our responsibility. Our first encouragement, and I would say this in another way, is that we need to witness rather than to withdraw. Verse 33, Jesus says, But seek first his kingdom and his righteousness, and all of these things will be given to you as well. And so in the midst of the national panic, in the midst of the problems which are going on, our first question and our first priority is, how does the kingdom of God intersect into this problem? What is it that God is up to? What miracles can he perform? How can we show the world around us that there is a God who is bigger and over the problems that we are facing? Look by way of the screens, Hebrews chapter 10, verses 32 to 35. The writer of Hebrews is addressing these early Christians in the first century. And look at the social situation that they were in and look at how they handled it. So Hebrews chapter 10, verse 32, the writer says, Remember those early days when you received the light. When you endured a great conflict full of suffering. So notice they were in a place that was full of suffering. They came to Christ at a time that was very difficult. Verse 33, sometimes you were publicly exposed to insult and persecution. And other times you stood side by side with those who were so treated. You suffered along with those in prison and joyfully accepted the confiscation of your property because you knew that you yourselves had a better and lasting possession. 
In other words, the early church, when they faced suffering and troubles and difficulties, they got in there and they loved people. They didn't withdraw, but rather they witnessed. They didn't flee from the darkness, but rather they sought to be light. And so verse 35, he says to them as they were facing a new wave of difficulty, he says this, so do not throw away your confidence. It will be richly rewarded. And folks, in the midst of the time we're in, let us not throw away our confidence. But let us say, God, how does your kingdom intersect with this? How do we walk forward in faith and not fear? How do we witness rather than withdraw? Rodney Stark, who is a professor at Baylor University, teaches in the area of sociology and history, and he wrote a book called The Rise of Christianity. And he talked about how did Christianity in the first three centuries manage to arise so dramatically from such a few small followers in Galilee to overtake the Roman Empire. And Rodney Stark says when he looks at the evidence, he says that Christians stepped up to the plate when the Roman Empire was experiencing epidemics and sicknesses and plagues. They would care for the needy. They would care for the poor. They would love. They would serve. They would be a witness. And in the midst of doing that, they showed something so differently. And because they did that, the popularity of Christianity began to dramatically arise. Eusebius, who was an early historian of the church living shortly after these times, talked about the compassion the Christian showed during these times of the crisis in the empire, says this, the deeds of Christians were on everyone's lips. Candida Moss, a professor of New Testament and early Christianity from Notre Dame University said this, quote, an epidemic that seemed like the end of the world actually promoted the spread of Christianity because Christians showed that there was a greater hope. And all throughout the centuries, that has been the report of Christianity. Faithful believers is that when a crisis hits, those who trust in Jesus step forward to meet that crisis. They step forward in faith rather than fear. Charles Spurgeon, the great pastor in England during the, during the 1800s, when England would be affected by all kinds of plagues and diseases, his church was known to be visiting into the homes of hundreds of people and caring for the poor and the needy and exercising mercy. And even coming out of Wuhan, China, the very place where this virus has had its origins, it's it's been the Christians there, the believers, who have been known for sharing food and helping people and caring for the sick. And do you wonder why Christianity is growing so rapidly in China, even in the midst of persecution? And as Stephanie shared with us, April 11th, between Good Friday and Easter, we've already ordered a food truck. And we're going to be able to take food and, and distribute it to our different outposts, loving and caring for people. And we're so glad we've done that because the need is going to be there, isn't it? And you know, we can do more. And we as a church, we as a leadership are going to be on our knees seeking God and saying, Father, how do we walk forward? How do we walk forward as a witness rather than withdrawal? How do we walk forward in fear rather than faith? And right now as a church, we are so better positioned because of all of our outpost ministries. <clears throat> we have people on the ground from Algonac, 
to Richmond, to St. Clair, to Marine City, and different places. And we've learned to organize, and we've learned to share together. We've had several months where we've taken our pop-up pantries, and we've been able to share those resources and distribute those in the different places. We of His church have learned how to do that. And could it be that in our practice of doing that, God has prepared us for such a time as this? Amen? And so our motto is, our mission is to pass on an obedient relationship with Jesus to our community. As we as a church have been learning to grow and to move in that direction, let us seize this opportunity and not withdraw in fear. Number two, take control of our response. In the midst of this panic, let's just take control of our response. Jesus goes on in verse 34, and he says, Therefore, do not worry about tomorrow, for tomorrow will worry about itself. Each day has enough trouble of its own. I know what it's like. Brenda comes home, says, Honey, can you help me with the groceries? And I want to be a He-Man, you know. Now grab the four bags of groceries and the two gallons of milk. I try to bring it all in. Guess what happens? It falls. I make a mess. <clears throat> and I've kind of learned to humble myself through the years. And I've learned just to take what I can handle. And so I take a few bags of groceries and then go back and then get some more. And get what I can handle until it's all brought in. And that's what Jesus is saying when it comes to your life, when it comes to your problems, when it comes, just go by the calendar. Just handle what you can handle today, and that is enough. Just handle what you're meant to bear for right now, and don't take on too much. Don't take on uh, too much that becomes uh, too overwhelming. When you look at a boat, a boat doesn't sink because of all the water that's around it doesn't sink because of all the pressure that comes around it. A boat sinks because water gets into the boat, it gets into the hatch. And it's the same way with our lives. We're not going to sink because of the pressures and the problems around it. Rather, because our worry opens up the hatch, and then the problems come into our lives, and they sink our faith, and we don't know how to effectively walk forward in faith rather than fear. I want to say to you, that through this time, and please listen to me, and you don't have to follow this, it's important to stay informed. Go to a few news sites that you trust. They give you good information. Find out what's going on. But right now, when you look at all of the information that we are being inundated online, on television, on radio, 24-7, on every program, even on the sports stations, this stuff is out there and it's overwhelming. And if that is going to be your focus, you are going to be overwhelmed. You are opening up the hatch of your thinking and you are allowing those problems to come in and to overwhelm your faith. And I am saying, be informed, find the news sites, the people, whatever, that you believe are going to give you the best information, but don't get caught up into the frenzy. And even more than looking to the news and looking at the things that you can't control and the things that cause worry just to creep in and to saturate your emotions in your heart, rather spend more time with God 
during this time. Amen? Look at what Philippians chapter 4, verse 6 says. Paul writes, he says, Do not be anxious about anything, even the coronavirus, but in every situation, by prayer and petition, with thanksgiving, present your request to God. First Peter chapter 5, verse 7, Cast all your anxiety on him because he cares for you. Folks, I want you to know Jesus cares for you right now. and He cares for your neighbor. Jesus said, in this world, you will have trouble. And in the Bible, in the New Testament, the Old Testament, there were disease and there were plagues. And Jesus knew this was going to happen. But he said, take heart for I've overcome the world. And whether you are overcome or whether you overcome is depending on who you place your focus. Because you focus on this world, you'll be overcome. But if you focus on Jesus, he'll guide you and lead you and you will find the resources to overcome. You say, you know, pastor, that's all well and good. That's all preachers speak. That's all stuff like that. But I don't know how I'm going to make it tomorrow. I look at the problems I'm facing. I'm looking at the fears that are with me right now. I'm looking at all that, and I don't know how I'm going to make it tomorrow. And so what? You may not believe me, but here's what Jesus says to you. You don't need to know how you're going to make it tomorrow. You just need to trust him and to make it today. And that's all you have to do. Deuteronomy 33, verse 25, the scripture says, your strength will be equal to your days. So you just live one day at a time. You just live according to the calendar. And it's separated in different days and for good reason. Well, I want to invite our worship team to come forward and uh, our prayer team will be over to the left of the sanctuary for any prayer needs you have. As we worship together, we're going to have an extended time of prayer and I'm going to have Jessica pray, but we're going to pray for our nation, our leaders. We're going to pray for our healthcare workers. We're going to pray for those impacted by this virus. And then we're going to pray for ourselves as a church. And so we want to spend that time in prayer. But I want to invite you to stand right now. And I've got something that I'd like us to read by way of the screens that I think is a good affirmation of faith this morning. And so if we could have the next slide by way of the screens, please. Thank you so much. So I want us to read this. And it starts off by saying, he is at the wedding and at the funeral. So let's start there and then we'll read the sections together. He's at the wedding and at the funeral. God is there in our good days and in our bad days. Because he is the God of Good Friday and the God of Easter Sunday. He is the God of the spectacular and the God of the ordinary and mundane. He is the God of the hills and the God of the valleys. He is the God in the midst of our laughter and in the midst of our tears. He is the God when the market is up and God when the market is down. He is God in the light and God in the dark.